0: You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. We praise God for the opportunity to lift up his name in this place. And I'm just so thankful that you are here uh, to join with us in worshiping the one true and living God. Thank you so much for being here. Well, on the first Friday of February... I went to go visit my grandma in southwestern Oklahoma, about six hours away. I'd been needing to visit my 92-year-old grandma for some time, so I made my way uh, on my day off, on Friday, I went late Thursday night, and we just had a great time together. We got to spend time, uh, I took her on some errands where we could be out and around, and we went to lunch together. We stopped by my, my grandfather's grave, my grandfather passed away a year ago this next month in March. And so that was meaningful for us to go. And I, I kind of enjoy going to cemeteries. I know, it's a little strange. But so I was checking to see some other family members that were there. And one of our agenda items that I've had for a number of years is for her to take me to this little cemetery that's out in the middle of a field where her great-grandmother is buried. Her great-grandmother... Uh, she didn't know. She died about 10 years before Grandma Irma was born. Grandma Irma was born in the 20s, and this woman was born in the twenty eighteen twenties. So it's astounding that just a few miles from where she lives out in the country, yes, that's right, a 92-year-old woman living alone on her own out in the country. This is a strong woman. So we just had a great time. She was thrilled that I was able to come, and I'd been stopped from coming to see her because of weather back in the fall. So we were glad to finally make that work. We're getting breakfast ready on Saturday morning before I head back and come this way. And I'd been feeling this little pain in my back for the last week. So I just kind of was stretching through it, and boom, my back just seized up, turned like this. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't talk, and I'm just knowing I've got to get somewhere vertical. And my grandmother is following, chasing along with her walker, (laughs) trying to figure out what's wrong with me as I try to straighten myself up. And I just felt so embarrassed. I mean, I'm, I'm there to take care of her, to give her a break. And then here she is trying to help me out of my pain. Well, she's a woman who knows about pain. So she knew what to do. We got the right medicine and the right creams and heating pads and got me laid out for a while to where I could make the drive back, but I just just felt so embarrassed. I was like, you know, why did this have to happen? You know, why me? Now that's kind of a minor thing, but we ask that question a lot. Why me? About big things or about small things? It could be a small thing like my back injury. It could be a big thing like a disease that strikes It could be something big like facing the loss of your own job or the breakup of a relationship where we just cry out to God and we say, why me? Why another car breakdown? Why am I short of cash again? Why me? And why is a good spiritual question. It's actually a big question. Whenever it's a why question, these sometimes just don't have answers. They are deep questions. And in this series, on Sunday morning, we have been looking at spirituality, this search for meaning. Remember a few weeks ago when we defined it as searching for meaning, searching for something beyond the self to find and make sense of life. Well, today, answering a big question like, why is something we're not going to be focused in on we're going to be focused in on the how because sometimes when you pursue those whys you can get caught up in unanswerable questions that we may not be able to provide a perfect answer for why something is caused but we will look at the how how do we deal with these moments with these times when we just want to scream out to god why why And so I want us to be attentive in a spiritual sense to these times when our attention is gathered because something has happened and we're able to bring a spiritual focus to our lives. We've been reading this letter, this little letter of Colossians, this whole letter. Have you noticed how we've read it all? Well, almost all. We cut off a few verses today. But we've been reading this letter like you just don't normally read a letter slow and methodically, over seven weeks, little bits and pieces. And that's not the way you read a letter when it comes in the mail. You read it all at once. Maybe you read it again. Maybe you save it or maybe it's insignificant and you throw it away. It's not even the way we sometimes deal with sermons, do do we? I mean, sometimes with sermons, we want to jump into a book of the Bible and we want the juicy passages. We want those protein-rich parts of scripture we want to really dig our teeth into the the famous parts of scripture but we've been methodically looking through and being attentive to this letter and I don't know about you but when you heard it read today by Jackie were you struck by all the names I know Jackie was right oh great Brady you gave me all these names you're not going to find in your phone contact list Tychicus Archippus On- Onesimus Nympha. What? These are not common names for us. You're probably not even going to find them in the baby books. I didn't see anyone jotting down some potential names for grandchildren or, or for their own children. Right? These are just unusual names. Or even the cities that Jackie had to read. Laodicea, Hierapolis. Plug those into Google Maps. How do you get there? I, I did. And it says no destination found. Kind of hard to get driving directions to modern-day Turkey from here. So, I mean, what's the point of digging into a letter like this? Whenever we realize how much distance there is between us and this letter, culturally and over times, it's hard to find why we would be connected with this letter. Well, I will tell you, it's been around for two thousand years providing spiritual guidance and providing insight that helps us and the names of the people in this little letter are the names of real people these are real stories in fact it kind of encourages me that the the messiness of names and stories and relationships is bound in the pages of scripture that it's not just set off to the side but this is in holy scripture to know that their messiness reflects maybe something of our own messiness, too. If you look at some of the names, they get, you get hints and cues and little bits and pieces of stories that we only know parts of. Like, for example, there's a mention of Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul got crosswise with one another to the point when their mission efforts went in two directions. Barnabas and Mark in one direction and Paul and Silas in the other. But we find out just in this little few verses that maybe things were patched up, that things were repaired. Now Tychicus, let's start with him in verse 7. Who in the world is Tychicus? It looks like he's the guy that was commissioned by Paul to bring this letter, to read it aloud to the people. And that's what would happen to these three cities. He would go and he would read it to all the house churches in all of these three cities and then some. Well, look at how Tychicus is described in verse 7. He's a beloved brother. So he's beloved and he's a brother and he's faithful minister and a fellow servant. Faithful minister, that gets our word for deacon, this servant. But then fellow slave is a much stronger word. It's a word that Paul usually uses for himself. I'm a slave of Christ. It does kind of shock our united states ears right to hear about slavery and especially with our history with slavery Uh, there's never been a slavery quite like ours that was based upon skin color and race and using other people for the benefit of your own welfare and well-being well so work with the metaphor a bit and hear paul saying i am chained to christ i see christ as my lord I see Christ as the one that I want to serve. So I pay really close attention to what's said and what's not said. So look at the next person that comes with Tychicus in verse 9. This is Onesimus. Look in verse 9. A faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They'll tell you about everything going on here. He uses this, Uh, word of faithful and beloved brother, but he doesn't say anything about being a slave. What makes that curious is that Onesimus is a former slave. He's a runaway slave. We get one side of the story by reading the little letter of Philemon to find out in Philemon's house with his wife, Ophia, they owned Onesimus. Archippus, who's mentioned in the very last verse of, of Colossians, is said to do what the Lord has given him to do. So Paul is giving a little nudge to these people that had owned Onesimus, who now had become a Christian, to restore him as a brother, as one of them. So he doesn't call him a slave. Well, if you, kept, if you keep looking and think about all the many house churches that Paul could mention, he mentions only one. Only one house church. And it's the house church of Nympha, verse 15, a woman. This is her church. Now, I find that stunning that he could have mentioned a lot of other house churches, but he mentions hers and hers alone in this letter that gets read in many cities and in many house churches, giving legitimacy to her, lifting up her ministry, maybe in the very same way that he's lifting up onesimus the slave as a brother and as one of them the one that gets the most airtime is epaphras now epaphras we've seen before in fact turn in your bibles back just a few verses or a few chapters to chapter 1 verse 7 and 9 you learned about the grace of god from epaphras our beloved and fellow servant He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Same word again there, this fellow slave. And he has made known to you, made known to us, your love for one another in the Spirit. So Epaphras, he's the church planter. He's the one that started these churches. He lets Paul know about who they are and the kind of love they have for one another. And what it prompts in Paul, if you kept reading in chapter 1, is Peaceless prayer. He prays constantly for them to grow in wisdom and in knowledge and understanding. That they would really come to know who God is. The goal is spiritual maturity in Christ. It's what he prayed for in chapter 1. that He wanted them to find this wisdom and understanding. And it's what he prays for in chapter 4. Look down in uh, verse 12 of chapter 4. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you. And hear this phrase. He is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf. That you may stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. Wow, now that's an image I can picture epaphras like a wrestler down on the ground on the floor with every muscle engaged trying to pin down trying to to get a three count no trying to get a victory by a win of a pin on what exactly that they would stand mature in christ that's the goal not to wrestle them to the ground but to use all of this, that they would be fully grown in Jesus Christ. That is the aim. That is what Epaphras is praying for. Well, what about us? I mean, we could go on and on, right? Pull out all these different names, of this and that person, wax eloquent about what they might or might not have done. What about us? I mean, the letter gets passed to us. What are we supposed to do with it? what I see if you hold together the front of the letter and the back of the letter is that Paul starts in prayer that they would grow in spiritual maturity. And he ends in prayer that they would grow in spiritual maturity. When you pull those things together, you see what Paul is aiming for. You see what Paul wants. That is the aim. Prayer. It's the spiritual discipline. It's a great place for us to stand after seven weeks of looking at spirituality in the desert city. And the words that he used are to be alert and to watch and to to be about the business of praying for the maturity of Christ. So here's what I want us to do. Do a little comparison. Think about your own prayers. Think about the words that you say the phrases that you say those common phrases that you draw upon think about the types of things that you pray for in your prayer journal or in our church prayer journal or how things are submitted to us think about what we pray for and a lot of times it's about sickness or illness or maybe someone's going on a trip and we Pray for a trip. Maybe we pray for marriages, right? And hear me saying very clearly, these are all good. That's my disclaimer. Can we all nod and say, yes, God wants us to pray for healing and for illness and for our marriages? Nod our heads. Yes, right? Come on, nod your heads. You've got to make sure you're awake, not nodding off, but nodding your head. Okay, we're there. But can we push a little further? Can we go deeper? and see how Paul's prayers differ from our own I mean it got me thinking why is it that I'm prone to pray about sickness or to pray about illness or to pray about need in fact I got to even thinking that a lot of times my prayers I don't know about yours almost are like Amazon wish lists yeah you just put those things aside these are things I want God It's it's almost like it's a to-do list for God. Like, God, things are okay in life, but here are the things I really need you to attend to. I need you to fix these things because my life is pretty good except for these things. This illness, this person, this issue, this circumstance. God, this is what I need you to do for me. Whenever you compare how we pray and how Paul and and the leaders pray here in Colossae, do we pray for the spiritual maturity of Christ? Do we pray that Christ would grow deeply in us? How could we begin to see these things that happen to us as opportunities for us to grow in Christ-likeness? Well, I'm looking around. I don't think you're quite convinced yet. You think maybe all of these names are just, okay, we've looked at these names and we see the prayer list, okay, we should pray for other things, but maybe you're not quite convinced that Paul's prayers and our prayers might be different. Well, let's look at the verses that might be the easiest sermon for me to preach. Chapter 4, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. All right, I mean, in, in chapter 4, 2 through 6, you start to get all of these. Here's what you need to do: devote yourself to prayer. That's the easy one to pray about. And the words that he used are keeping alert, being watchful. He is inviting us into the kind of ministry of prayer that Jesus had. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Olives? The night he's betrayed? He's coming to his apostles and saying, Keep awake, keep alert, devote yourself to prayer, watch. It's the same thing. He's inviting us to that. But in verse 3, look in verse 3, we actually get Paul's prayer request. And let's read it very carefully. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open a door to the jail cell that we're... Wait, wait, no. That's not how it says. Pray for us as well that God will open a door for the Word that we may declare the mystery of God. Seriously? This is his chance to say, put me on the prayer list. I'm in jail. I mean, if I look at his life, the biggest thing that he has working against him is that he's in jail and he's a preacher. He's a minister. Why doesn't he pray for an open door to the jail cell? Right? Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't say, oh, why don't you treat me like Peter when the angel came and opened up the jail cell door and let Peter leave. He doesn't pray like what he remembers Paul and Silas in the jail, when an earthquake hits and the doors open up, he doesn't pray for release. He prays for the declaring of the mystery of Jesus. Now I find that astounding, that he does not pray for the biggest hindrance, the biggest obstacle in his life, but prays that the mystery of Christ might be unveiled, might be declared. And we remember what this is. In chapter 1, verse 27, we know what the mystery is. It is that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. That God, by coming as Jesus, has opened up and made God's self available to everyone, whether you're religious or not religious. Christ paves the way for you to come to know God. That's the mystery. Becoming mature in Christ. What about us? Let's go back to thinking about us again. We've talked about our prayer list. What's the biggest problem right now in your life? What's the biggest prison holding you back? Think about what you perceive is holding you back from doing what you want to do. We've listed off a bunch. Maybe it's your job or your, or your career. Maybe it's some inability to pay your medical bills or a boss or an employee that works for you a home that you don't have or a home that you do have and it's a mess when we look at these prisons in our life we tend to turn them over to God and say please fix this please resolve this please do away with this issue remove it but that's not the biggest problem The biggest problem is our complete and 100% devotion to God. Coming into the presence of Jesus Christ and wanting to live like Christ. We've focused in on the prison walls and see ourselves as captive, but that is not the problem. In fact, sometimes the problem gets worse when we come to know who Jesus is. Right? Right? Look again in verse 3 of chapter 4. And at the same time, pray for us as well that God will open a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison. When we come to know Christ, not everything gets worked out perfectly. For Paul, praying that Christ would be in you as the hope of glory, this is not some warm fuzzy. This is not some good spiritual message of, oh yes, Christ in you, that's wonderful. This is not about confining Christ to my own needs. This is about being captivated by Christ and caught up in the mission of Christ. See, if you look at Paul's life, Following Christ ended up ruining how his life was headed. As a rabbi, no longer a rabbi. Colleagues no longer liked Paul. His earning power diminished. His reputation cratered. He was not respected by the people that respected him previously. It changed his life from being respected and esteemed to running town to town, jail cell to jail cell but he didn't see that as a bondage. His bondage was to Christ. He didn't see that as his prison. You know, I heard a story just a couple of weeks ago about folks talking to prisoners. And they made just a subtle comparison between those prisoners and the prison guards. Because when you're in prison, you feel confined and captive and like, ah, I'm restrained. I can't do what I want to do. And the comparison was, well, the prison guards come in and they live with you all day long. Sometimes for several days. They eat their meals inside of the prison. They are in the same space captive with you. Now, yes, they can walk out and sleep in their own bed. But how might those prison guards open up your eyes that you are free? Do you see the comparison there? We get caught up in wanting God to fix our prisons and to fix our problems, but it's something of a changed mindset. Maybe there are things that we can only learn in the darkness of this suffering. Maybe there are things that we can only learn by going through the pain we're going through. You remember when Saul was struck blind? The same Paul, but when Saul was struck blind, killing people, imprisoning people, Do you think the early church really wanted him to get his eyesight back? I bet they wanted him to get his eyesight back once he'd learned his lesson, once he wasn't going to come and kill them. There are things that we have to learn and that we can only learn in the darkness of suffering. Now, I told you about my back early on, and I wasn't just trying to get sympathy. There's kind of a weird thing about what happened with me. So I've I've been doing... um, Uh, a lot of yoga. I've done yoga for many years, but I've done more recently, trying to get more mobility because the older we get, the stiffer we get, and more hunched over we get, right? So this injury at my grandmother's house, I came home and talked to a medical professional about it. And as it turns out, I'd had this protruding rib in the back of my back that had always caused me pain. And since this injury, That rib is back in place. So yes, there is an injury. There is a pain. Something has happened. But my body is now learning how to be in proper alignment now. And the pain remains. Now, not every pain is like that. I'm not trying to make a one-for-one comparison. But there are sometimes good times and seasons of pain where we can enter into them and learn from them in those places of darkness, we don't have to think of them as prisons or as holding us back from anything, or even to just be wishful and wistful that God would take it all away. What can we learn? How might we develop in the midst of that suffering? We've learned from Paul about being clothed in love. We've learned about what it is to be in Christ. To be rooted in Christ. To seek and set our minds on things that are above. To become mature by pursuing the ways of Christ. Fervently seeking Christ in us. And it affects how we pray. It affects those specific things, those phrases that we say, this is not empty work, folks. This is important work for us to pray for the spiritual maturity that we might become like Jesus Christ. This is the minimum operating system for a disciple. The spiritual discipline of prayer where we keep alert and we're watchful and we're thankful for whatever comes our way. Praying that God might open up a way to declare the mystery of Christ, maybe to us first, but to declare the mystery of Christ by our life and our conduct. God can take our questions, and we should ask him all of our why questions, earnestly, pointedly, directly. But we're given by Paul this how, of how we get through the very difficult life that sometimes comes our way by getting on our knees and becoming seriously committed to becoming like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we face a lot of problems and they're big to us. And we pray that you will help us. That you will help us to not see them as prisons, to not see them as confinement that keeps us from doing our real business. Our real business is becoming like Jesus Christ. Help us to be devoted to prayer. Help us to be watchful and alert. And may we not be so concerned with our well-being, our Amazon wish list of things, our questions that need to be answered, but may we become even more concerned with becoming like you, coming to know who you are. We thank You for what You've shown us in Jesus. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.